Welcome. Hope you're good. Hope you're okay. Is it too dark this morning? I feel a little bit dark. Is it just me or maybe because I'm wearing all black this morning? I'm not sure. Um, but I'm excited to preach um, this morning, uh, continuing our series on the standard. I'm going to preach on a topic that I've never preached on in the eight years that we have been lead pastoring this church. So um, bear with me. Hopefully I do okay. Um, so we'll see. And this is the beauty of, of exegetical preaching, right? Where we just go through a book of the Bible or, or a whole passage and just tiptoe bit by bit so we don't jump over awkward bits and just preach the bits that we're more comfortable with. We're sort of forced to, to look at the Scriptures and as they, as they reveal themselves to us, we have to wrestle with those things and, and figure out what is God trying to say. And so this morning um, is a little bit like that for us as we tackle these issues. So... Um, why don't we get stuck into it? Have you got a Bible? Matthew chapter 5. We're continuing our series called The Standard. Uh, the tagline for this, if you're new or haven't been here for a while, is when Jesus becomes the standard, we become disciples. All of us live by one standard or another. Most of us live by our own personal standards, our own personal preferences, what we think is right or wrong, what we think we should or shouldn't do, and our own personal worldview becomes the standard by which we live. Some of us just follow the ways of the world and whatever's happening, whatever's popular, we'll just go with that. Um, and other, others of us, a small portion of society, devoted followers of Jesus, make him the standard. And when Jesus is the standard, then his will can be done on earth as it is in heaven as we follow him. Make sense? Great, great. So Matthew chapter 5, we're going to jump in at verse 21 and read nine verses. Here we go. Matthew 5, verse 21. Yeah, everyone's going, ooh, I saw the subheadings. Here we go. This is going to be interesting. You've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. That's interesting, isn't it? Isn't that lovely? Thank you, Jesus. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Verse 27, shifting gears slightly. <laughs> you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. Well, let's be encouraged this morning, church. <laughs> that concludes today's service. Um, I read the scriptures, therefore I'll let Jesus preach it. That's great. Did my due diligence. Didn't skip the awkward bits. 
Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, today. We thank you for this um, word, this passage that you would have us wrestle with today. Lord, I pray that we would yield ourselves to your word, that you would become the standard by which we follow, that we would not just look to ourselves or this world for the right way to live, but we would look to you and you are the way, you are the truth, you are the life. And so Lord, we choose to narrow our vision to you because you are the author and perfecter of our faith, the author and perfecter of life itself. So we choose you this morning. Amen. So Matthew, the first part, the first portion, talking about anger. Quick little summary. Whoever is angry with his brother will be liable for judgment. Whoever insults his brother and calls him a fool will be liable to the council or, even worse, hellfire. Um, If you're offering your gift at the altar, which is an expression of your worship, expression of what you are doing before the Lord, and you remember that someone has something against you or you've got something against somebody else, leave your gift, leave your expression of worship on the altar and go and reconcile yourself to that person. This is why Romans chapter 12, verse 18 says that um, as far as as it is possible with you, live at peace with everybody. So Paul is affirming what Jesus is saying here. Hey, listen, you have a responsibility to live at peace with people. So do whatever you can. If that means leaving your active service of God at the altar for a moment, leaving your gift, leaving whatever, to go and reconcile, do whatever it takes. The next part, um, 27 to 30, says, anyone that looks at a woman or a man lustfully has committed adultery with them in their heart. And if your eye or hand causes you to sin, cut it off, for it's better to lose one of your members than your whole body go to hell. Now, you're probably thinking, like I was when I wrote this message, why are you combining anger and lust in this one message? Wouldn't you just do a message on anger and a message on lust? What do they have in common? Why are you packaging them together in this message? Well, the thing is, Jesus in this passage is not talking figuratively. He's not talking, well, it's in a roundabout. He's talking literally about issues of anger, literally about issues of lustfulness. And, and maybe Jesus sort of understands that these two issues are something that humans are going to struggle with. These, these two issues seem to be two of the big issues uh, that, that will disconnect people from one another and also cause their own uh, soul to sort of disintegrate because of sin. And I kind of think these two issues are significant because both of them, Jesus warns us about the threat of hell as a result of not dealing with these two things. Like that's, that's massive, like that Jesus would would even throw hell in the mix when he's talking about anger, throw hell in the mix when he's talking about lust. That's massive. And I kind of think that when we don't deal with anger, when we don't deal with lust, then they will ultimately corrupt us relationally and they will corrupt us personally. That is the the importance and significance of dealing with these two issues. So I want to spend a little bit of time unpacking anger, unpacking lust, And I guess if I had a title for this message, it would be something along the lines of, who do you need to call? What do you need to kill? Who do you need to call? What do you need to kill? Anger. Anger will rob you of inner peace. If you've ever been angry, you realize that there is no peace. The problem with that is Jesus is the Prince of Peace. 
And so anger disconnects us from intimacy, as Rian would say, with, with Jesus. So no wonder Jesus says, deal with this. One of the fruits of the Spirit is what? Peace. So anger actually dehydrates, if you like, peace. Fruit is evidence of the Spirit's renewal in our life. We just talked about this, this holistic view of the Holy Spirit. And it's not just to sing and dance and shunda bobo and prophesy and blow people over in the power of the Holy Spirit. No, 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 it's about God's regenerative work inside our souls, taking that which was dead and broken and making it alive and whole again. And evidence of that is love, peace, joy, patience, kindness, long-suffering, self-control. All these things are part of the evidences, the, the receipt that says paid in full for what Jesus has done when the Holy Spirit lives in a human life. And so anger, when we choose to hold on to anger, what that does is it dehydrates this beautiful life-giving fruit and also disconnects us from Jesus, the Prince of Peace, who we're called to yield and surrender our life to. Hmm. Secondly, so first, it robs us of peace. The second thing that anger does is, is it, it fractures relationships. It damages relationships. Outbursts of anger can do irreparable damage to people. I've witnessed domestic violence situations where families have been torn apart because one, per one person's anger was to a point where all rational thought was thrown out the window and then damage was done through words or through fists that then fractured God's beautiful family that was intact and decimated it. And anger... Can, can damage good friendships. It doesn't have to be like violence or anything like that. It can just be anger in, as far as, like anger that's burning inside of us that doesn't outwork is called bitterness. So just this festering thing. I'm not doing anything with it. I'm just seething on the inside. I'm just boiling. It's like, and there's like little bits of steam that come out from us. That is bitterness. And that fractures relationships. That robs us of peace and it damages relationships. Um, and we've got to be quick to deal with this sort of stuff and quick to, to put it to rest because it's going to absolutely corrupt us relationally and corrupt us personally. I remember um, in the spirit of full disclosure and honesty, this was only a few weeks ago, and um, you know, my job as a pastor is not to present perfection to you because that's impossible. My, my job is to show you how one faulted human being follows Jesus and we'll all work together doing that in our own way. So... Um, I play basketball Wednesday nights, probably shouldn't because I'm getting too old, my knees are too sore, but I do because I love it and I just can't help myself. And so this particular game about a month ago, playing the, the, um, the, the best team in the competition, um, by far they've got an ex-NBL player playing for them who's, who's quite a, a gun and um, we were getting just, we were getting our, our rear hinds handed to ourselves um, and losing by about 30 points, which is just demoralizing and it's like no one wants to be there and it was like probably 30 seconds to go in the game we're getting smashed and I jump up for a rebound and didn't realize there's a guy right beside me here and he just decides to throw his entire body weight into me to to box me out of the way from getting the rebound and I didn't know he was there so I didn't expect the contact and so he just threw his hip right into my because he's shorter than me right into my thigh and full body weight hip and like this dude was strong and I just instant, just, you know, we get that, like, the thigh cork thing going on. It's just like, oh, my gosh. Instantly pain, but more than pain, rage 
unleashed inside of me. And I said some things to him that I haven't said since high school. I thought Jesus had redeemed that area of my life. It's horrible. And I said it twice. What you need to remember is when I cross that white, those four white lines on a Wednesday night between whatever time it is that I play, I, I leave my, my, my pastoral job description at the door and I become a player like everybody else who wants to win. And so I, I said these things and immediately like, oh my gosh, that just came out of my mouth. I'm not even a tradie. How does this work? This is... Do you want me to share what your words were? No, no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. And then 30 seconds later, the game finished and um, I was able to cross over that white line again and pick up my job description. Um, and I just felt, I felt bad. I was like, man, what, what an awful witness that was to me who has devoted my life and, if you like, career and my whole livelihood is on, hinges on my faith in Christ. And that outburst was anything but reflective of, of what I value to be true. And so I, I, the first thing I, did, I knew I had to make it right because I, I'd fractured. The thing is with, with, with basketball and like most sporting things, we might play against these teams. We're all good mates at the end of the day. We all have, have fun and enjoy the sport because we're all old and, and, and aging. And so it's less, less about being athletically competitive, more about just having fun. Um, and so we have good relationship with these guys. And I knew that what I had said was I'd fractured that friendship and I'd crossed that line to say some pretty nasty, disgusting things. And so I, I went straight over to him. I didn't even bother handshaking my team or high-fiving our loss. And uh, I just said, hey, listen, um, I just I need to apologize to you for what I just said. Um, that's not what I'm about. I don't believe the things I said. I, I'm embarrassed that I would use those words to you. In the heat of the moment, I got, I, you hurt me. I overreacted. I got angry. And, and what I said was highly inappropriate. I just want you to know I'm really sorry. Um, please forgive me. And as a grown man saying that to another grown man who doesn't have the same worldview as you do, um, it was an interesting response. <laughs> He's like, why are you even having this conversation with me? This is weird. Um, I said, but I just need you to know that's not what I'm about. And he said to me, you know what? I know that's not what you're about. I understand that that was an overreaction. It's cool, man. It's all good. And then we hugged for about 20 minutes and it was great. And <laughs> after 15, it was awkward, but we just went for it. And, um, but I knew that had I not dealt with that anger quickly, it would have fractured relationship because that's what anger does. And it also destroys and corrupts us personally. So, in light of what Jesus is teaching in this passage on anger and relationships, let me ask some reflective questions. Who's got beef with you right now in your world, in your family, in your workplace, in your marriage? <laughs> Kidding. No, no, that's... Ridiculous. Follow up question Who have you got beef with? Because it's so easy. Yeah, that person. Hold on. Who are you harboring unforgiveness towards? Who who have you got beef with? 
It's very quiet, isn't it? It's amazing. What's stopping you from reconciling that issue? Like, are you going to hold on to that beef and let it become rotten flesh that stinks and decays in your heart and your mind forever? What is, what is preventing you from reconciling that? Do you intend on responding to Jesus' standard on dealing with your anger and relationship breakdowns? Jesus is a standard. We can't call ourselves disciple if we're not going to hold our life to his standard. Do you need to lay down your expression of worship right now and pick up your phone and make a call? After the service, do you need to call somebody? Do you need to make things right? Even if they made it wrong, do you need to make it right? But, I hear this a lot, but, but you don't know what they did to me. You don't know the pain they have caused me. And I say this response with all due respect, but you don't know what they did to Jesus. You don't know the pain that was inflicted on him. Yet he forgave his accusers, he forgave his tormentors, he forgave his abusers. Now I'm not playing down major issues of trauma and stuff in people's lives. Like I'm not trying to trivialize that. But at some point, in order for us to have freedom, we have to cross the line of forgiveness. Because at the end of the day, our entire worldview as Christians is hinged upon this thing called forgiveness. That the reason Jesus had the things inflicted on him and went through the pain he went through was for you and was for me because it's our sin that actually nailed him to the cross so that he could do all that to reconcile all of us back to God the Father once and for all. And so if our Christian world, if our Christian faith system is hinged upon forgiveness, if it is the door with which we enter God's kingdom, then it must be the principle by which we live inside that kingdom. Because we can't enter his kingdom with, through forgiveness, but then choose to hold on to unforgiveness while we live in the kingdom. We are undoing what was done for us to enter there in the first place. Well, maybe we need to understand what they did to Jesus understand the pain he went through for you and for me and he chose to forgive forgive and then we can do likewise read Matthew chapter 6 um, which we we'll read in, in the next chapter about that um, like it's almost to the point I don't want to get too dramatic and heavy but it's almost to the point where our salvation is hinged upon how we forgive other people how we deal with our own anger how we deal with our own relational breakdowns but that's for another day. Now, let's, let's move to the other issue we're talking today and we'll um, talk about lust for a bit. We'll give enough time to anger. Lust is one of those insidious things that we tolerate. We put up with. We, it's internal. It's secret. No one really knows about it. No one really knows your thoughts, so you can sort of get away with it. And so we, we put up with these, this issue of lust. And it's all good. 
until it's not. It's all good to have these, these lustful thoughts and this, these ideas of, 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 of sexual perversion towards other people until it's not. And here's what happens. Lust will cripple your marriage. It will suffocate true connection and true intimacy with your spouse. Lust will confuse relationships. What might be a healthy platonic friendship, when lust enters the heart of one of those people and they start to, be, to, to, to objectify that person or over-sexualize that person because they're attractive, then it actually changes the dynamic of that relationship and it confuses things. Lust will lie to you and tell you that the grass is greener. It isn't. It, it, it might look that way, but that's the whole point of sin, right? It's deceiving. It's deceptive. It tries to make us think that things are, but they actually aren't. Oh, if you eat of that fruit, you'll be just like God. Hello, we're going to make the original sin. No, 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 no. It's not greener. You'll probably cut yourself on the barbed wire fence, jumping over the fence to get there. Lust will torment your mind because it's insatiable. It never has enough. It's always wanting more. So you get tormented because it's insatiable. It creates unrealistic expectation which leads us to a constant state of dissatisfaction because it's insatiable. And so there's expectations about how things should be and how things should outwork. And then we live frustrated because we're not having those expectations met because this lust serpent is this insatiable beast inside of us and probably one of the biggest things that lust will do it will objectify and devalue the Imago Dei. What do I mean by that? The Imago Dei is the Latin word for the image of the divine, which is what every human being, why every human being is valuable. Because God's DNA, God's fingerprint is on every human life. That we are all the Imago Dei. We are all marked with the image of God. And so when we have this, uh, this lust inside of us for another human being, what we do is we objectify them and devalue them as God's image bearers because all we see is somebody who is designed to satisfy our visual pleasure sexually and so we're called to add value to this world not take value from it we're called to be agents of grace and truth and life not not suckers of uh, of god's created order jesus standard for lust is not stop it just guys stop it it's honestly it's not a thing just don't even do it stop it his standard on lust is cut off whatever is causing you to go down that path of sinfulness and lust. Cut it off. Boom. So Jesus' stand on anger is who do you need to call? His stand on lust is what do you need to cut off? That'll be done. Better that we cut off our arm or our eye, cut out our eye than for our whole body to burn in hell. They are pretty grim warnings from Jesus. I remember a, a friend of mine cut off. I know you're thinking, no, he didn't do that. No. <laughs> Lift up the intelligence, please. This is ridiculous. Cut off his privacy in order to free himself from the, the, the constraints and the bondage of lust. What do I mean by that? He downloaded a program. He's having an issue with pornography. Um, pornography is like, this is the issue with pornography, right? Pornography is 
See, God gives us all a burning flame of sexuality, pure sexuality between a man and a woman that are married in God's eyes. Let me make that really clear. That is pure God orchestrated, created sexuality. One man falls in love with one woman and they get married and then sex, the sexuality God gave them comes to life in the safety of that union. I cannot make it any clearer. The world has distorted that to do whatever you want to do. Well, watch what happens to the world when that is the mentality. That being said, pornography takes the flame that God gave us of sexuality and just pours like this ugly petrol on it and rages out of control. And it becomes this insatiable beast that just totally just warps and captures people's minds and attention. Now, so this friend downloaded the software um, so that on every device he uses, his phone, his iPad, laptop, desktop, whatever he uses, it scans everything he ever goes to. And then every day, and I have for the last 12 months, every single day I get an email with about a dozen screenshots of whatever he's been looking at over the last 24-hour period, as well as a list of any compromising websites he may have visited that I need to be aware of so I can ring up and say, listen, dude, what's going on with this? How come you're visiting this site? Or I saw this screenshot of that, that girl in that bikini. That's not really healthy for you looking at what's going on there. And so it sparks conversations, keeps accountability. So, so he has taken Jesus' standard personally by cutting off his privacy. Because this is the thing with lust. It happens in secret. It happens when no one's around. It happens in our mind. So he's exposed, he's taken what flourishes in the dark and is exposed it to the light by cutting off the, the, th- the very thing that would allow lust to grow, which is his private moments. No, no, now everything can be seen. And he has seen incredible breakthrough in that area of, of overcoming lust, overcoming those things, and is doing really, really well, which is awesome. So in light of Jesus' teaching on this passage, We had some reflective questions about anger. Let's have some reflective questions about this issue. Now, I'm a pastor. I love you. My job is to help you grow as disciples of Jesus Christ. So, are you watching porn? Don't answer me. (laughs) I'm not dealing with this issue like this. No, 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 no. How often do you watch it? Oh, but it's not like hardcore. It's more just like, you know, there's this, this, this series and there's some scenes in it. And you cool. Those scenes get in. They start to become played in your mind. Why do you look at it? Do you? Why do you? Do you justify or minimize its impact or influence on your life? So we do, oh, no, it's not that big a deal. Like the devil, did God really say that? Did God really say that you would? No, 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 no. We have to either take Jesus' standard and live his way, or we take any standard. How is your thought life in regard to lust? Would you say that your thoughts are quite pure? Or is there some corruption of sexuality in, in your thinking patterns how how do you feel knowing that Jesus standard is if you've thought about it 
you're actually guilty of doing it. Like, that's a game changer. Like, Old Testament, if you slept with somebody who wasn't your wife or wasn't your husband, you're an adulterer because you committed the act of adultery. You had sex with someone that wasn't your spouse. Really simple. Jesus takes it to a whole other level. And we looked at last week how he fulfilled the law, but then he's brought in this new covenant. And in the new covenant, he says, if you look lustfully, you've committed adultery in your heart. How does that make you feel? That he's up the ante in that regard. You think tithing was easy in the heart of the Old Testament. In the New Testament, God's like, give it all, sell it all, whatever. Oh, I'm happy just to tithe. We'll keep the tithe, thanks. <laughs> yeah, the Old Testament, woo! What do you need to do to rise to Jesus' standard on lust and remove whatever is causing you to do those things and think those things? What do you need to do? Anger? Who do you need to call? Lust? What do you need to kill to set yourself free from this thing? Jeez, Josh, you're making a big deal of this. You really, can't you move on? This is just uncomfortable now. Why, why are you, is this even a big issue? Yep. Yep. Here's why. Now, I'm going to go through a couple of stats. Granted, these stats are US stats. However, I preface that with saying, usually, not all the time, but usually, we're not too far behind socially. It's pretty comparative. The way that uh, Australian culture uh, operates and exists is usually, um, nine times out of ten, it's a mirror image of what's happening in America. It's just harder to get stats in Australia because we're just lazy. Um, But they're very much diligent with their data. So this is what, and, and I would also say that in my experience of pastoring and leading people for 20 years, um, I would say, yeah, this is, I, I can see this just in my local context, so it's pretty close to Australia, in my opinion. 11 years of age is the first time the average age of someone, their first exposure to pornography. 11. That's ridiculous. 94% of children have seen pornography before their 14th birthday. Massive. Yeah, but that's in the world where there's no standards, Justin. That's, that's, I get that because we're in a fallen world. Okay. 70% of church-going men view porn regularly. 70, not 17, 70% of church-going men look at porn regularly. Yeah, but that's men. They're highly driven. They're very sexual, you know. Um, and, you know, women are conservative, really, in Christian circles. No, no, because 87% of Christian women say that they have viewed pornography. Maybe not be regularly, but they have actually been exposed to and watched Pornography. It's huge. And the reason it's huge is, like I said before, is because it is this this ugly oil, this ugly fuel that is put on a beautiful spark that God has given us to enjoy in the intimacy and the confines of marriage that gets distorted and out of control and will ultimately corrupt our relationships and corrupt us personally. So we have to make a big deal of this. And Jesus makes quite clear his stance on it by saying, cut it off, pluck your eye out, 
cut your hand off, whatever it takes to remove the thing that is taking you to that sinful, lustful place, get rid of it. Better you do that than all of you burn in hell. Wow, it's huge. Huge. I've counseled and pastored dozens of men through this issue over the years. And, um, and, I think, and, and it's been, seen good results. It's seen a lot of freedom, a lot of healing. And so I would say publicly, if you're battling with this, in your own time, in your own space, make some time to meet with me. I'll fight with you. I don't want you to wrestle this alone. I don't want to do this to condemn anybody or embarrass anybody. Therefore, in Christ, there is now no condemnation. So who am I to add condemnation to your life if Jesus has already taken it away? My job is to come alongside you and help you in your fight for freedom. That's my job. So, so maybe you need to pick up the phone. Give me a call this week. Hey, can we catch up? I want to just talk some things and, and deal some stuff. Great. And I guarantee you, it's private, me and you. That's, that's all that we'll ever know, me and you. I'm not going to tell your wife. If you're a lady struggling with this, do not call me. <laughs> not interested. You call my wife. You talk to her about it. She will walk through and fight for your freedom. I'm not opening that candle. No, no, not going there. So you call her. Men, you call me. And we'll work together in being disciples, making Jesus the standard so that we can have ultimate freedom for the Spirit's work to do what He needs to do to form us in His image and live the life He's called us to live. So, today, as we go through, this is what I said at the very start. This is why it's so important. I love um, expository preaching because we, we just go through a book and we expose the truth that's in there. I'm not just going to go topical. Well, topical preaching is great, but the thing that's important, we also have this where we just slow down and go through verse by verse. And so therefore we don't skip any awkward bits or bits that could be squirmy. We just teach on it. We sit in on it. Because you've all read these scriptures. I know you have. And you probably go, well, I've never heard someone talk about it. Well, let's talk about it. Let's break it down. And let's make a decision to, to continue to let Jesus be the standard so we can be disciples and live this life of freedom we have together as a church. Amen. Let me pray for you. As we close today, Father, I just thank you for every single person here this morning. Thank you that grace abounds, that freedom is here. Thank you for Pentecost Sunday, Lord God, that we celebrate. Your Spirit has been poured out to all who believe. All who repent of their sin will receive the free gift of your Holy Spirit. A Holy Spirit that, yes, brings about with it gifts. Holy Spirit that, yes, brings about miracles and signs and wonders and power from on high. But also this Holy Spirit that is your still small voice that is teaching us to shut up, apologize, and assess ourselves. So today, in this moment, we want to shut up. We want to put aside our religious thinking, put aside our preconceived ideas and preferences. And Lord, we want to apologize firstly to you for any sin in our life that we have tolerated and allowed to get root inside of our hearts that's become habitual. We ask that you would reach down into the depths of our soul and pull these things out from the root to bring us freedom. We confess our sin to you and we ask 
for your forgiveness. And Lord, also we, we want to apologise to those who we have beef with, to those who have beef with us. We want to do whatever we can that's within our strength to live with peace, live peaceably with everybody. So Lord, the, the first part of this message, who do we need to call? Would you give us the boldness today, God, to, to choose reconciliation, to choose your way, rather than resentment, rather than bitterness. We would choose to restore relationships. And Lord God, the, the third part, this assess ourself, this internal working, Lord God, this area of lust that just happens behind the closed doors of our mind and in our heart. Lord, we confess those sin to you. And Lord, we, help, we, we pray that you would help us to cut off the things, to delete the subscriptions, to put on protective software, to, to engage accountability with friendships. Whatever it takes, Lord God, to cut off the thing that is corrupting us relationally and corrupting us personally in the, in the area of our sexuality. Give us boldness to confront these things. Give us strength to step forward into freedom. Bless us today in Jesus' name. Amen.